Good morning. Turn with me, if you would, again to Matthew chapter 5. And if you have the gift of teaching from the Lord and you want to be humbled, select this sometime to um, preach to others, teach to others and your friends. It is, it's been a blessing, but it is challenging and it is humbling to go through these. Today we're looking at verses 13 to 16, which I've entitled The Earthly Purpose of Living Out the Beatitudes. What is interesting, I think, even in that title is ultimately our purpose is always to glorify God, to glorify our Lord and Savior in all that we do and all that we say. But key here is glorifying him in this life is to be salt and light on this earth at this time. We can't say to the Lord, you know, I think I'm going to join a covenant, convent, excuse me, convent. Shows I'm not from that background. A convent, or I'm going to join a monastery, or I'm going to build a Bible city and just have Christians live in it. We, we could say a lot of those kinds of things, or maybe we would even say, I'm, I think I'm just going to go up into the hills of the mountains around Colorado and live in a cave. I need to get away from all of this. Now, that's not the purpose of those who are living out the Beatitudes. The purpose of those who are living out the Beatitudes by the grace of our Lord who have recognized their poverty in spirit and come before him and admitted that. And who have also seen their mourning over sin in their lives and in the world around them. And they become meek and they hunger and thirst for righteousness and they're merciful and they're pure in heart and peacemakers and have a have a sympathy or an empathy to be persecuted for all of those first seven. When we have those, and God is doing those beatitudes in our lives, we are to live them out in the world around us. We're to live them out. We're not to go into hiding. We're not to go somewhere away from the world. We're to live it out in the world. Now that obviously means that we don't become like the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world, the scriptures say over and over again. We're not to be like the world. We're not to fellowship with those who are committing deeds of darkness. Paul makes that very clear. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians for a moment. We'll get back and read the verses 13 to 16 in Matthew 5 in just a moment. But in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 6, I'll just read a few verses beginning with Dick. Excuse me. Just wanted to remind him and I'm giving him the verse. Verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? 
Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. So we have a purpose, and the purpose with which we glorify God is to be salt and light in this dark and increasingly dark world that we live in. To be salt and to be light. And in doing that, as Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, we have become, the church has become. Israel was told back in Exodus 19, God said, if you honor me and you obey my word, you will be my people, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now he says it to the church because it's passed from Israel because of their unfaithfulness. So in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, we have become his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why have we been left here? Why are we to be living out the Beatitudes? It's to show the difference between God's people, those who are part of the kingdom, and those who are not, who are still in darkness and living in darkness and under bondage to Satan, we are to show the difference between God's children and the children who are lost. We have no choice. This is not an option. We're to be salt and we're to be light. Now let's just read back in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read from verse 13 down to 16 because this comes right at the end of the Beatitudes and as part of the introduction to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and in verse 13, he says this about the purpose of living out these Beatitudes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose, the earthly purpose, which is to glorify God. It is through being salt and light in this world that we live in. So all attempts that we might come up with in this life to shield ourselves from this present world are unbiblical. Unless it's to that point again of fellowshipping with those in the darkness. We don't do that. We don't do the deeds that they do, but we mingle with them. And in mingling with them and living, we are to be salt and we're to be a shining light and shine the light of the gospel upon them. In so doing, we will be the necessary 
preservative for this world. And in so doing, we will be the source of spiritual light, the only source of spiritual light in the spiritual darkness in which we live. Think of it for a moment. What would this earth be like without the sun? Would you enjoy living in it without waking up in the morning? And especially here in Colorado, most of our days we see the sun. And it's bright, and we want to get up, and we want to live in that light. Without the sun, we would be in complete darkness on this planet, except for the light that we might create. But here's the other side of that. Without the Son of God, we would be in complete spiritual darkness. We would have no hope because He is the light. He's the light of the world. We're to walk in the path of light, Psalm 119 says. We are to live in the light. We are to transmit the light because we have his nature in us. He's ascended up to the Father in Acts chapter 1. And he's coming again and until he comes again to destroy this world and establish his kingdom we're the light. We who know him, his light shines in and through us, and we're to shine it out in the darkness. We were part of the darkness, were we not? Until someone shined the light of Christ into our lives. For me, it was Billy Graham preaching in a crusade that I was watching on TV. Who are we shining the light out to? Where are we being salt and how are we being salt in this world? And what does it all mean? Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says there are two, a twofold purpose, to be salt and to be light. And we're going to look at both those purposes this morning and talk about what it means and try to apply those to our daily living. It's interesting to me, both of these purposes, to be salt and to be light, are both important. You can't separate one from the other. Salt comes first, then comes shining the light. Salt has to do with more the way we live the way that we live out the Beatitudes in daily life around those at work, our neighbors in our neighborhood, those in our extended family that don't know the Lord. We're to be living out our lives as salt. There's a purpose there. And the second one is, has more to do with communicating, not living so much, but communicating the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they see without light? The issue is they won't, and we're the only ones that have it. So let's begin by talking about this being salt. It is extremely important. There are two primary purposes if you read scripture and you look at the word, salt or salty, 
you'll come up with several things. The two purposes are primarily to make food taste better. I don't know about you, but there are some times when you're eating something and you just know that something's missing, right? So what do you do? You grab the salt shaker and you put a little salt on there and then it's fine. We know that in scripture, we, are, we find this out that salt was used to make things taste better. Job commented on that. How is meat going to taste good, he says, unless it's salty? So part of the usage in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, was for making meat taste better, for making food taste better. But then comes the other side of this. It was as a preservative. Putting salt, rubbing salt into meat to preserve it, to slow down the decay, to make it last longer, that's in Scripture as well. They were even told to rub salt and put salt on the sacrificial meat before God in Leviticus. It was used of purifying water in 2 Kings to make water pure, salt in it. It was even used of David's kingly line. In the Old Testament, it says, preserving David's kingly line forever through a covenant of salt. Because salt preserves. It makes something last. And David's kingdom is going to last through a covenant of salt. Now, it's this latter usage that Jesus obviously has in mind when he talks about our purpose. I guess you could throw in to make things taste better in this world, but the primary purpose is to be a preservative, to slow down the decay, to slow down, to arrest it, to hold it back. Why? So that the light can shine, so that the light can go forward, so that there is still time and this world, the world we live in, and the people by and large that live in this world are decaying and rotting in the darkness, in the sin. And it's a serious decay. You can look back through Scripture. And I went back through many passages during this week looking at the decay that's happened in this world since Genesis 3, since the fall. All you have to do is get over three chapters, seven generations later after Adam, and God is saying, I'm disgusted with the people on this planet. I'm even sorry that I've done this, and I'm going to destroy it because of the decay, the sinful, sinful decay that's going on. And he finds Noah, finds favor with Noah and his family and has him build an ark. And he floods the whole world and destroys everything that's living except those who are on the ark, both human beings and animals. And he begins again. And he tells Noah, and I'm giving the sign of the rainbow because I'm never going to destroy the world like this again. That's not happening. I'm starting over. 
I'm starting over. Then comes Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 18, the Lord and two angels, pre-incarnate Christ, are visiting with Abraham in that chapter and 19 as well. And the Lord says, should we reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? And one of the things is, Abraham has a nephew that's chosen to live over that way, and he's living in Sodom. So Abraham begins to have dialogue with the Lord. Lord, if there were 50 people there that were righteous, would you spare that city? And the Lord ponders, thinks, and says, yes, I would do that. He says, well, what about 45 or 40 or 30? Or 20. Lord, I'm going to ask you one more time. What about 10? What about 10? Would you not destroy if there were 10 there? The Lord says, if there are 10 righteous there, I won't destroy. What happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? The two angels go there. They end up in Lot's home. The debauchery that evening while they're there becomes absolutely apparent when people are there thronged around their house, wanting him to send the two angelic beings out so they can commit sin. And Lot's answer has always disturbed me completely when he offers his two daughters instead. Does that disturb you? Were they being salt in Sodom? Well, think about how it ends. He and his wife and his two daughters, the ones who are going to marry his daughters, don't even want to hear what's going to happen. And they're leaving. They're fleeing as the angels have led them out by grabbing their hands. And they've told them, don't look back on this city. It is decayed beyond imagination. And I'm destroying it. Don't even look back. And Lot's wife turns and looks back. And what does she turn into? A pillar of what? Did that ever strike you as ironic in terms of what God's people are to be? She became a pillar of salt, all right. But she died. And maybe that was an object lesson for us who claim Christ's name, who are not being salt in this light. Salt is a preservative. Paul even talks about it in Romans chapter 1. They knew about God, but they turned away from God, and he hardened them, and he turned them over to all manner of sin. And that's the world we live in. Think of this nation and how it started and how the Constitution was formed with so many biblical principles because people had fled to this land for spiritual freedom. They fled here for that purpose. And then all of a sudden, here we are now over 200 years later, and our nation wants to throw off all of that. Our nation wants to do away with it. The nation that was founded 
on religious freedom. The times we live in are something else. Besides the governing authorities, which are also another check on the decaying aspect spiritually of our nation, of the world, there's the family. Look at where we are today in terms of family in this nation. Lots of families only have one parent because divorce has been rampant. And so children are not being brought up in a structure that helps prevent decay. What are the government doing? Doing away with police forces that are supposed to check the decay. What does that leave? You and I, Christians who know Jesus Christ, we are to be the preservative. We are to be the salt in this life in a dark world. We are to live in such a way that people see Christ in us. They see a difference. They ask a reason of the hope that is within us because they observe there's something different. There's something different about them. I'm going to give you a story from my life. I told you one a couple of weeks ago about when a young man in Minot, North Dakota at the Air Force Base where I was working and he was working came to me and asked, a re you know, what, what, why was I, he had noticed something different about me, but why was I different? And I really failed that test. Later after I'd gone to Vietnam from Minot and came back, I was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base in the D.C. area where I grew up. And during that particular time, I worked under, I was the administrative officer under two generals that worked in the systems command at Andrews. And both of them had their offices across the hall from me. And in the midst, just before you got to their two offices, was where their secretaries and where the colonel who was the adjutant worked. And oftentimes we would go over there during the lunch period when the generals were out and probably about eight or ten of us in the DCS for development plans of the systems command would meet over there and just talk and chat. And One day we were in that office and the generals were gone. It was during the lunch period. There was probably eight or ten of us. And we were discussing, somebody brought up that which was known in the D.C. area during that week that somebody had been arrested for stealing a million dollars. And it was on the news, and, and so we were, somehow that became part of the discussion. And all of a sudden, it was very interesting. Someone said, in the midst of, of the discussion, well, we can't be too hard on this person because here's the deal. If there were a million dollars laying on this desk and we were in here by ourselves and there were nobody else around, every one of us would steal it. And I'm going, okay, Lord, what do I say to that? So finally, after what seemed like an hour to me, I spoke up and I said, I would not. I could not. And several of them said, yes, you would. We're all the same. You would steal it too. 
And I said, no, I wouldn't. They said, if nobody was looking, you would. I said, but somebody is looking. It's my God. And I could not take it. When I look back on that, that was from the Lord. I'm not lifting myself up to tell you that. I'm lifting him up. But that's what I think he wanted me to do. Because it got real quiet after that. The discussion kind of ended. But I think in that case, he used me to be salt. I think in that case, he stopped them and caused them to do some thinking. I wish I could say I was like that all through my life. I hope that we all will be, though, that we will be salt, that we will live as an example, that we will take opportunities that we come into with the world. I can still remember a, another sergeant in our church in New York that worked. I was a chaplain in an air guard unit near West Point, that part of New York. Our church was near there. And one of the men in our church who was a sergeant in that same unit came to me one day and he said, I'm just tired about working around all these unbelievers. And I said, have you considered why you're there? Have you considered that you're to be salt and light and that God has you there for a purpose? Yes, it's hard. You don't have to, you don't have to commit the same sin that you see them doing. You don't have to listen to the jokes that they're telling. Be salt. That's why you're there. You're to be a preservative. You are to hold up Christ. Notice that the Lord also put a warning in this verse about being salt. If salt becomes tasteless, it isn't good for anything. If salt, I think it would be better to translate it this way, and if you looked at the Greek word, you certainly could. If salt becomes tainted, because Jesus wasn't saying that salt stops being salt. He's saying if salt becomes tainted, and a lot of the salt that they were gathering in his day were out in these different parts of the ground in which they were bringing in all kinds of other chemicals and dirt and stuff, mixed with the salt, and the tainted salt just was useless. I think Jesus is saying something like that here. The warning to us is, listen, we're salt. We better be salt. We don't want to taint our lives. We don't want to become like the world around us. We want to be salt. And I'm afraid sometimes as I look and listen to what's going on in the evangelical church that maybe all of us need to preach on salt for a few months. Is the church being salt today? My son sent me yesterday, just yesterday, my son in Florida sent me a video of a Roman Catholic priest berating his con his congregation in his Sunday morning sermon because they weren't being salt. Because they weren't standing up against abortion. 
And I have to give him credit. He was powerful. He said, I'm angry, but it's righteous anger. Because we as a church are just, some of you out there are even, you're even pro-abortion. How can that be? He was saying. And I thought, boy, I hope as an evangelical, I can have that much courage to be salt in a dark, decaying world and help slow down the process and help arrest it so that there is still time for the gospel to go out. You remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3 when he's talking about the Lord is not slow about his coming back. He is only slow because he's bringing in those he wants to bring in. We are salt. We live a Christian life to have people see the difference and slow them down on their pursuit to run over the cliff till all of the elect are brought in. That's the first step in this. And then comes being light. Being light. They're both together. Light is far more important than being salt because in light, we have the remedy. Salt is like an antiseptic. It just holds back. It doesn't get to the problem of the disease. It, it holds back the disease, but light shines on the answer. Light gets to the gospel. Light gets to the truth. So they're both together, but light is far more important. The truth of God's word is far more important than the preservative aspect of salt. But they're both necessary. One to prolong, to give an opportunity to shine forth the light and the light of Jesus Christ. He is the light. He is the light. Light of the world and his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we are the only source of spiritual light on this planet. None other. If we don't shine, it's darkness. But if we do shine, we know that the Lord will use that, shining forth his word, shining forth the gospel of light. He will bring some to himself. But what did he say in Romans chapter 10? How will they hear without a preacher? They won't unless Christians see that the purpose for me living out the Beatitudes is to be salt and then to be light and to, with my words, bring them to a knowledge of the truth. Bring them to a knowledge of saving faith in Jesus Christ. I would have never thought that I would have been saved one evening in November of 1967 by coming home from my job in the, at Lincoln Air Force Base, Nebraska, and turning on the TV, and there was somebody broadcasting light. And when it was over, by God's grace, I was a new creature in Christ. Oh, I had been trying to clean up my life a little bit. I remember saying things like, well, I'm not going to drink quite as much. I'm not going to uh, say bad words quite as much. I, I, might, I might even start going to a church. And I did those things, some of those things. 
not very well until the night when the light shined on me. Thank God that Billy Graham was out there preaching and broadcasting the light. You know, the world is always saying things like this. We need another age of enlightenment. We've had a couple of those, haven't we? The Renaissance, other ages of enlightenment. And where have they gotten the world? Well, last century, we had two major world wars. Did that work? Did the age of enlightenment, human enlightenment, and human knowledge change anything? No. And it never will. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. As spiritual light, we're to shine the truth of God's word, especially the gospel. Acts 13, 42 says, you are a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation. Light shines forth the truth so that people can hear it and the spirit can take it and change hearts and create new life and change us completely. The purpose of the Beatitudes being lived out is to be salt and to be light. I want to have you turn to one key passage with me, one of my favorites, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to look at, with me at a key passage of Paul there. And I'm going to check my watch just to make sure that I don't overstay. Um, but listen to, these, listen to these verses from Paul to the church at Ephesus, beginning with verse 8, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Now, did you get that? There's several things there that stand out in this passage to me. Number one, he says, walk as children of light in all goodness and righteousness. That's part of being salt. Walk, live in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Then we are not to participate with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. That's part of being salt. But then comes this third part. Finally, we're to expose the deeds that are in the darkness by shining the light on them. Now, this aspect of Shining the light has a twofold aspect. We shine the light to expose what is there in the darkness, negative, and we shine the light positive to show them how to get out of the darkness. Some like the latter, some don't like the former. I remember teaching this in a seminary class 
in which I was teaching on Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, one course teaching all four of those. And I remember some students didn't like that. What, what, is, what does that mean to expose with the light, to expose the things, the deeds that are in the darkness? Another way to translate that would be to reprimand or reprove. And some said, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound very Christian. Shining the light, how, how can you become a Christian? There's a three-step process. You need to know your need, which means you're in sin, and what you're doing in your life is sinful. What happened to John the Baptist when he preached to King Herod about his taking his brother's wife, which was sin? Let me read to you um, from this verse. It's in Luke 3.19 where we read, When Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded or reproved, that's the same word as expose in Ephesians 5. When he was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, what did Herod do to John who shined the light on his sin? He arrested him, put him in jail, and then at the request of his daughter, he had John beheaded. Shining the light can be costly because you are reproving the world. You are saying, no, abortion is sin. Absolutely it's sin. I wonder if the evangelical church and all of its members are shining the light in the darkness on things like that. I wonder. I'm not so sure that that's happening, that we are shining the light of the Word of God on the sin. And once we do that, and they know they're lost, you get them lost first, then you move on to, here's the way out of that. Christ, the Son of God, came, and He bore your sin, and His sacrifice was acceptable to God to forgive you and receive you as His own. We're to live it first, and then we shine the light to bring people out of the darkness to Christ, but it can be costly. It can be costly. But this is our purpose. We are the only source of spiritual light in this world. This is what he wants us to do. In his absence, being in heaven, he has left us and filled us with his spirit and he has given us power and the words to take the word forth and to preach it. So we have a twofold purpose, to be salt, not lose or taint that saltiness, but to be pure salt who will live in such a way that people will ask us a reason of the hope that is within us when they see that we're different and they have no explanation for it. And then we shine the light in the darkness and we expose sin and we expose the gospel, the way out of sin. Let me conclude with this.
five points, not long ones. Number one, there is a great divide between those who are salt and light and those who are not. And if you don't think so, start living it. Start being salt. You will find out there is a great divide. Number two, the world will not largely respond well to the mission that we have in regards to being salt and light. But we must embrace it anyway because some will come. And we will be a preservative to allow time until Jesus returns to see more come in to the kingdom. Don't worry that the vast majority won't respond. The way is narrow, the door is narrow that leads to life. We just need to be concerned about what he wants us to be doing. Number three, regardless of this, we must fully embrace our mission to be salt and light and know that if we're not, we're good for nothing but to be thrown out on the trash pile. That's why we're here. It isn't for our own pleasures. It isn't to lay up treasure here. It's to lay up treasure there. Number four, we must also know that this is the primary way in this life that will bring glory to him. We can talk about bringing glory to God, but if we're not living as salt and light, we are not doing it in his primary way. Are we salt and are we light? Last one, number five, if the world is getting worse, it's because of one or two things. It's because there's less salt or it's because salt is becoming tasteless, tainted. What do you think it is? Maybe some of both. You remember who Jesus is the one who said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? He said that. When he returns, will he find faith on the earth? There may be very little the way I see things going. But we who are Christians have no excuse. We are to be salt and we are to be light every day of our lives. That's why he has us here. We live out the Beatitudes in his strength and power to be salt and to be light. That's why we're here. If the world is getting darker, it's because there are too few salt shakers left. Or it's because we who are, are salt are not fulfilling our role. And that can mean one or two things. Either we've never been salt or we're not functioning as we should and we need to get with it. We need to get with it. Let's pray. Father, I know I need this admonition, and I want to be salt and light in your power and in your strength. And I pray that for this body, and I pray that for, this, for your church in this land that we live and around the world, that we would be salt and we would be light. Stir in us a godly desire 
and the power to do these things, to live out the Beatitudes so that we can be a testimony, that we can become more like Christ and his light will shine through us. We pray this in his powerful, mighty, and matchless name.